You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Hey, could you go ahead and keep the lights down for a second? I'm going to replay the favorite part in all our movies. What's that sound? <laughs> you, know, you know that it's dark. What's that sound? And then all of a sudden, right? And then the lights going out, and all of a sudden, Right? Yeah, and then you're like, it's dark, and then you hear a snap over there. You know, all you have is that dim, cloudy moonlight. You hear in the distance, right? Yes. I need an owl out there, somebody. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to, that's a lot of owls. So, like, if I'd, have, if I'd have asked for a coyote, it'd been like a pack of coyotes. It's been like the gray. Wasn't that that movie with Liam Neeson where he was, like, attacked by, stuck by wolves? And he, anyhow, so, when, in those movies, you know how it is. You know, whether it's a house or the woods. I got to back up because I'm running out of room. So, you know, you, they hear the noise. Their, their flashlight's not working. It's all dark. And what do they do? They go to the noise. <laughs> it's like, and what are you saying when you're looking at it? Don't, you stupid, you dummy, right? Or so they're walking through the house and the, the light goes out in the house and they're still walking through the house and, and you're standing like this. The camera's looking at them as they're looking down the hall. And what happens? You see behind them a figure go right behind them. And then they turn around to go that way. And you're like, no. It's like, people are all so dumb in the movies, you know? But, you know, it's the light. It's like something, things are always scarier in the dark, aren't they? You know? And it's like even someone beautiful like you guys, when you put a flashlight up to their face, you look scary. Because <laughs> everything's scarier in the dark, you know? I'll just actually have my nice smile, see? <laughs> see? I'm just kidding. All right. You can turn the lights on. It's interesting how scary the dark is, and how in movies that it plays up on our fears, because the mystery, the unknown of the darkness is out there. We, and we, we look at them, and we know that they're headed for trouble, but they keep moving toward it. Something about the dark makes things scarier, and you know what? In life, it's the same thing. We've been talking about knowing and walking in God's will for our life, the adventure of, of following God's will, but what do you do when you hit the dark road? What do you do when, when the sun is not in sight and on this plan, on this journey, on this road trip of life that God gave you, you hit the, the night drive, you know, or just you hit the desert. Anybody ever driven through like, like Kansas at night? Yeah, exactly. Why would you do that? We have, you know, if we're, we've, we've drove, driven to Colorado. We went up through Kansas one time, one time, one time. Never again. There's, there's whole pockets of Kansas where you drive for, seems like hours, with nothing. Not even like elevation. It's flat. There's no towns. It's dark. And if, the, if, the, if it's cloudy, it is pitch dark almost, except a slight haze. Or have you ever driven through uh, New Mexico at night or through parts of Arizona at night 
or certain even spots of Texas, there's, there's something about those night driving. You know, we drive to Colorado when we go skiing, and, and we drive through the night. We start at 6 in, at night, and we arrive in, in Colorado at 6 in the morning. And there's that sense of driving at night. And this last year that we went to Colorado, um, not only was it a fun trip, but it was an adventure trip at night because not once, but twice, we blew tires in the middle of the night at about 2 and 3 in the morning, right? We blew a tire on the way there, and we thought good. We literally said, good to have it out of the way, right? No more car troubles because what what are the chances, right? You get it out of the way, and Byron, man, he was, he was the muscle, you know, so he, uh, he worked on the, uh, on, the, on the car on the way there, you know, replaced the tire, and we got back on the road. It, it was a bit of a fiasco, but it was, a, it was fun, right? So had a great trip. We're coming back, a little stressful. Car drives can always be a little stressful. So we're on our way back, and it's the middle of the night, 3 o'clock again, and boom, another car, different car, another blowout of a tire. You know, the muscle steps up, Byron's out there. He's like, get out of the way, punks. And he's, <laughs> he's like, I, you know, I knocked out, hey, you want to help me do this? Next thing you know, he's like, you know, he's in charge, right? He ain't afraid to get his hands dirty. So uh, we had two, and we had to put that little donut on there, right? And we were going like, you know, 75, 80 miles an hour, strong, solid speed, you know. It, when it's 75 miles an hour, you know, I don't, I don't feel bad about going five miles over. Okay, don't shout at me. So I'm driving, and now that we've got this donut on the car, because that was all this rental, it was the rental tire that went out. Um, We're now driving at like 60 miles an hour on a trip we all can't wait to get home uh, from. And uh, we we drove and drove and drove and drove and drove until we got to a town that had a discount tire that was open, and then we had to buy a tire and all this. But the point is, is the adventure uh, turned scary. You know, when, I mean, we're in the middle of the night. We are literally, we were, that second blowout was in the middle of nowhere. It was out, in the, we were, and I remember we drove out of a town and, and we were driving 20, 30 minutes out. And all of a sudden I had, had, the car has one of those tire pressure things that shows you there's a problem in the tire pressure. And all of a sudden it went from 30, uh, 32 to 30. I'm like, oh, that doesn't look good. And then 30 went to 26. I'm like, whoa, this is like, you know, and then. 24, and then 22, and my heart, I thought it was going to like beat out of my chest because I knew we were in the middle of nowhere, and I'm thinking, please, let there be a town, quick, because when it's 3 o'clock, it wouldn't have mattered, so it, was, it went from 22 to 20 to 19 to 15, and, every, and we're just driving, and I'm slowing down because I'm like, oh, this is, and I'm driving as far as I could until it literally got zero, and we stopped, and I got out, and that wasn't, it wasn't a little flat, it was it was gone. It was like just totally on the rim at that point. So uh, all that to say is it turned a little adventurous, a little scary, semis. <laughs> you know how it is. Well, these late night drives, sometimes the adventure can be fun, but sometimes you hit the dark spots. You hit the, uh, the breakdowns. You get, you get where you're hitting a, a, a spiritual wall. You feel like you're, you, you know, God, is this the plan? Is this the trip? Was this the adventure? that you wanted me to experience. So what we're going to talk about now is uh, 
is driving in the deep haze. Those moments when the visibility is very, very bad. When it's dark or it's heavy rain, what do you do? Do you pull over? Do you push through? Or worse, if you've ever broken down, uh, how do you respond at those moments? So to answer that, we're going to read one of the strange and scary stories of the Bible. Uh, Today I want to talk about facing our fears in the darkness. And we're going to look at a story that you're going to wonder, why is that even in the Bible? This is one of those, I guarantee you, this is one of these stories that you will never ever, ever find in the children's Bible because it is not only scary, but it is seems to be the opposite of how things are normally done. It's the only story like this in the entire Bible. And you're, again, you're going to wonder, why is that even there? Did God really just do that? So let's take a look at it. Uh, here's the backdrop. Here's the story behind it. Uh, there's, I want you to imagine for just a moment, again, the howl of a coyote, a slow walk through the woods, the snap of a twig, a shrouded figure hops off a horse walking towards what seems to be a house in the middle of nowhere with a single candle in the window. He knocks on the door. An old woman opens the door. She's a witch. And you might wonder, is that story really in the Bible? Absolutely. And you won't find this in Sunday school class. So here's the backstory. Israel is called to be separate. As Christians, they're a mirror of us in the past. We are the new Israel in Christ. We are to be separate, to be different, to be holy. Well, just like us, the Lord says, be holy, be separate. I will be your king. But they wanted a king, so they had an election. And what they got was exactly the kind of person that mirrored their personality. They got a guy named Saul, a guy who said he loved God, but really in his heart was far from God. Uh, The Amalekites in their story were a group of people that were kind of a neighboring town that when Israel moved into, uh, Israel is not just the name of a nation, it's actually the name of a family. And so when the people of of Jacob or the people of Israel moved into what is now known as Israel, there was a group of people, their neighbors called Amalekites, who followed them. And basically, uh, they were ruthless, savage, violent murderers. And they would follow behind Israel and kill off all the handicapped people. They would kill off all the pregnant women. And they would kill off all the children who were in the back of uh, of the group. They were violent, and they were savages, and uh, basically God rescued Israel from many attacks from the Amalekites. Well, when they got a king, when Israel got a king, he said, all right, as a king, you are to bring justice in my name. So I want you to go and uh, bring the wrath of God upon the Amalekites and take them out, kill them, and um, get rid of everything that they have. Don't keep any possession they have, uh, no matter how valuable it is. Get rid of it all, um, because this is part of the justice that I have against the Amalekites. So Saul goes, he attacks the Amalekites, and he does it, sort of. What he decides to do is he keeps everything he wants. He keeps, he keeps all the stuff that's valuable. He keeps all the, the gold and the silver and the objects, and he keeps all the best cattle, and he keeps all the best uh, of the sheep and the herds of everything. And not only does he keep all the stuff that he likes, he also kept the king. And he basically uh, kept the king alive. And, and, and so Samuel, who's the prophet at the time, approaches Saul and says, Saul, you didn't exactly do what God said. And that's where we're going to pick it up. 1 Samuel 15, verse uh, 1 through 35 has the story, but we're going to look at verse 20. 
Samuel the prophet confronts Saul. Saul basically says, I did everything. It was a great success. God is good. And Samuel says, you are king and you were anointed for a specific purpose and you were given instructions by God to take out the Amalekites and you didn't do it. And this is what he said in verse 20. But I did obey the Lord, verse 20. No, he didn't. Saul insisted. uh, He said, I carried out the mission God gave me. No, he didn't. Uh, he says, I, he goes, and I brought back King Agag. That's their, their king. And he says, but I destroyed everyone else, um, which is not what God told him to do to bring back this king. And he also kept a few other dudes too. Then my troop brought the best of the sheep, the goats, the cattle, and the plunder, which is not what God told him to do. And he goes, but it's okay because I'm going to sacrifice it to the Lord, your God in Gilgal. He says, man, I'm going to tithe off of it. Man, I brought all the best. Man, I took all this stuff, but don't worry. I'm going to honor God with it. I'm going to give an offering out of it. So he says, but Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. He says, it's always better. You think, you know what? I'm going to live any way I want to live. I'm going to disobey God. I'm going to party it up on Fridays and Saturdays. But man, I'm going to lift up the name of Jesus on Sunday mornings. Man, I'm going to give him that. I'm going to offer worship and I'm going to give my tithe. And God says, what is better? That offering of worship, that, that, that sacrifice of praise or that tithe or obedience. God wants them both. But he says this, obedience is is better than sacrifice. And then he says this. He says, rebellion, this attitude of yours, this rebellious attitude is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Now, Saul then goes on to argue with Samuel saying that, you know, but you don't understand, Samuel, it was all the people. The people pressured me to do this. He started blaming people, blaming that, that, that he was, that they were all kind of heavy handing him. I mean, be a man, be king, right? Be who God called you to be. He starts placing blame. And then as they continue to argue, basically Samuel says he's done and turns to leave Saul. But Saul won't have it. So Saul grabs him by the cloak and tries to hold him back. And in the story, it says that Samuel, as he was walking, Saul ripped his cloak. Now, Samuel is is basically considered one of the most reverent people alive at this time. All right. You don't walk up to the president and decide to just rip his jacket off of him. Right. So, You've got this incredible man of God and this king who's supposed to follow the voice of the Lord. And Samuel represents the voice of the Lord. And he rips his cloak. And if you're watching a movie, that's when the whole crowd would go, ooh. (laughs) Sam says, as you tore my coat, he says, God's going to tear this kingdom from you. Woo, man. (laughs) Right? So they leave. And uh, they do one more thing together, and then they part ways, and uh, they never reconcile. They never get back together. And shortly later, a few years later, in 1 Samuel 25, 1, it says that Samuel dies and is buried. So now, flash forward 15 years. Saul has now been living without the voice of God for 15 years. He's been doing what he wants to do, 
leading the way. He wants to lead without God. He's drifting far from God. He begins to worship all kinds of false idols, and he gets to get. He begins to get involved in the occult and, and idol worship, and, and God picks a new king. He says, all right, I'm picking a new king. It was David, and David's now maturing, and Saul runs him out of town, tries to kill him. So now David's on the lamb. We're going to talk about him next week. Um, and that is uh, the car chase in the road trip. And uh, so you're, you're not going to want to mess next week. It's, uh, the message sermon is called Fast and Furious. Um, so 15 years later, this is what happened. The army has now drawn the line. The army of the Philistines, the enemy of Israel, has drawn the line. And they have camped in the middle of Israel. And they are literally about to attack on all sides and literally divide the nation in half. Tear it apart. So the Philistines, this is it, jump up 15 years later now from that moment where he ripped Saul's garment. 1 Samuel 28, verse 4 says, The Philistines set up their camp at Shunem, and Saul gathered all the army of Israel and camped at Gilboa. Again, they're going to about to split the kingdom in half. Uh, when Saul saw the vast Philistine army, he became frantic with fear. This deadly attack was imminent. Saul is scurred, okay? He's not just scared, he's scurred. His light has gone out, and he's walking into the snap in the woods. He's, he knows what is happening. It's imminent. He's going to have to face it. Now, this idea of fear in Saul is a repetitive characteristic of Saul. It's one, probably one of his greatest flaws, and that fear was a, a major problem with him. He had fear of the future. He had fear of death. He had fear that he would lose possessions or that he wouldn't get certain possessions. He had a fear of unexpected problems, and he had a great fear of what everybody thought about him. And that fear is what caused him to make a series of incredibly poor choices and caused him to follow after other things other than God. By the way, fear is a clear sign that you're not living alongside of God. If you are walking in fear, it's a sign that you're apart from God right now and that you need to find and discover what it means to walk in the light of God. We're going to talk about that in a second. Verse 6, he says, he asked the Lord what he should do. He said, man, I'm looking at the army. I'm up on this mountaintop, and we are surrounded. They're about to attack God. What should I do? So he's finally, 15 years later, calling out to the Lord, what should he do? But the Lord refused to answer him either by dreams or by sacred lots or by the prophets. He tried prayer, tried religion, tried formulas, nothing. Now, that casting of lots, what that means is there was what's called Uman and Thurman. And, you know, that's not the actress, you know. And it is, it is basically two stones. And these stones had multiple sides on them. And uh, they would, some of the sides would say yes, basically. And some of the sides of the stones would say no. So they would take these two stones and they would roll them. And if it said, yes, yes, that was, that meant God wanted them to, to do whatever it was they were asking. Yes. Kind of like the magic eight ball before the Holy Spirit was able to speak to us. Right. And so if they rolled it and it said, no, no, it was a definite sign that it was a no go. Right. But here was the problem with Saul. He was casting these lots, and when it said yes, no, that meant there was no answer. So he kept casting yes, no, casting yes, no, casting yes, no, and imagine doing that hundreds of times. The possibility of it always being yes, no, it would be miracle in itself. So there's this idea that God's saying, you know what? I'm not going to answer you. I'm not going to give you an answer on this. So Saul tried everything 
God will not speak to him. Saul was not crying out to God for God, by the way. He was crying out to God to get him out of a jam. Rather than humbly submitting to God on God's terms, he was coming to God on his terms. Saul wanted success, and he expected God to show up like a genie in a Bible. Many do that. God does not show up on our terms. Man, I'm, I'm the exam. God, I'm reading my Bible this morning because I got a test today, right? I want this raise, God. I need this promotion. I need this job, God, right? I went to that prayer conference and said, if I pray this formula A, B, and C, and then do this, and then D, and if I quote the Bible, and I put it on a post-it note, and I put it on my mirror, and I say it every day, for the next two weeks, it's going to happen. We, we somehow think that God is a, a genie, that if we, if we just rub him just right, he's going to respond. So then he begins to ask his advisors. He says, find a woman who's a witch. Find a woman who's a medium. Basically, he's saying, hey, any of you guys know a witch? I've tried God. Let's get a witch. So he says, anybody know medium so I can go and ask her what to do? His advisors replied, there's a medium at Endor. Uh, and I thought, the witch of Endor. Isn't that where all the Ewoks live? It is, by the way. <laughs> if you're a Star Wars nerd, Ewoks live in a place called Endor. So. Nerd alert. All right. <laughs> so apparently she was an Ewok. So anyhow, the witches of Endor, by the way, I want you to know God strictly, strictly forbids the use of mediums, fortune tellers, horoscopes, seances, necromancy, which is consulting the dead, and anyone who calls upon spirits other than the spirit of God. The Bible says it is an abomination. I've got some verses up there. You can take a picture of it, look at it later. Saul, even knowing this, had even banned all the witches from Israel at an earlier date, which was a, actually something that he did good. So when he banned them, they, apparently they all moved to Hogwarts, and so he was trying to find the secret passage on the railway to get him to the witch. So they were strictly forbidden, but yet he was being rebellious in heart and decided he wanted to pursue this witch. So Saul, verse 8, disguised himself by wearing ordinary clothing instead of his royal robe. So again, this is the man, you know, who's cloaked in darkness. And then he went to the woman's home at night accompanied by his two men. Now this was an eight-mile trip. So he says, hey, guys, we found a witch. There's one that lives in the indoor. So they loaded up their horses, and they put these garments on. And, you know, it's this eight-mile trip. Road trip in the middle of the night, in the dark of night, they slip off the horse. They see the house, the single candle in the window. And it says, uh, um, he says, uh, I have to talk. Uh, he goes to the woman. He says, accompanied by his two men. And he says, I have to talk to a man who has died. Uh, she answers the door. They come in. And he says, will you call up his spirit for me? In verse 9, uh, and she says, are you trying to get me killed? She says, the woman demanded, you know that Saul has outlawed all the mediums and all who consult the spirits of the dead. Why are you setting a trap for me? He goes, is this some kind of sting operation? Are you like, like trying to get me caught? Is this, where's the cameras? You know, are you mic'd? You know, and he says, what kind of fortune teller is this, I think, by the way? Because like, all right, you're supposed to know the future and you can't see a guy with a fake mustache on? You can't tell? 
that he's got a costume on. So, but Saul took an oath and he said, I, I promise. He says he took an oath in the name of the Lord and promised, as surely as the Lord lives, nothing bad will happen to you for doing this. Now, this is ironic. Saul making an oath on God while he's running from God. Don't worry about God's judgment. I got you. So the, the irony here is, is that she's not going to escape anything uh, eventually and, and either will he. Verse 11, finally, the woman said, well, whose spirit do you want me to call up? And he says, call up Samuel, Saul replied. Now, this is a bad idea. Imagine this. Ring up a man of God in the middle of a, de uh, of a demonic ritual, all right? So bring up this man of God who, who only brought conviction and the word of the Lord in this moment of occult activity, right? Bad idea. And God strictly forbids this type of activity, right? But look what happens. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed, right? So she's like, all right, Samuel. And then all of a sudden, boom. Ah! Why would she scream? She would scream because she's not used to a working. She's a fake. She's a fraud. This whole thing is deception. She screams. She says, usually I just fake it, but what? Right? So she screams. She says, you've deceived me. You're Saul. And he's like, don't be afraid, the king told her. And she's like, I'm not afraid of you. I'm afraid of him, right? She says, and he says, well, what do you see? And she says, I see a God. Most translations say a spirit. I see a God. I see a spirit coming up out of the earth, she said. What does he look like, she asked. Uh, uh, Saul asked. Well, he's an old man wrapped in a robe, she replied. And I think of Gandalf, right? You know, when we think of like, when I, when I think of prophets, I think of guys like Gandalf, you know, with the big beard and the cloaks and the, the cane, you know, the white beard Gandalf, you know. Gandalf the white. Nerd alert. All right. Because <laughs> there's a Gandalf the gray, in case you didn't know. So I'm thinking, here's Samuel the white, right? He, he appears... He is an old man wrapped in a robe. She replies, Saul realized it was Samuel, and he fell to the ground before him. Now, this was, again, a big problem of Saul. He respected Samuel, a man, more than the living Lord God of his life, right? So he fell down and humbled himself before Samuel, though he never did that before the Lord. It says, why have you disturbed me, Samuel said, by calling me back? Is God really, this is the question when you read this story, is God really using a witch to bring up a dead prophet of God? This is an activity that God strictly forbids and says is an abomination and says is, is wicked and evil and perverted. Is God really using this witch? Now, I want you to be assured that she is not in control. She is surprised. She is unprepared. She is a fake. She did not summon him. God sent him. She is scared to death. See, God took this opportunity of darkness to speak a word into Saul's life. All right? Now, the afterlife is important to understand here because you're like, is it possible to call people up from the dead? Is it possible that this could even happen? The Old Testament afterlife is different than the New Testament afterlife. In the Old Testament, before Jesus died on the cross and gave us an opportunity to be re reunited with our Father in heaven, in the Old Testament, everyone that died went to a place called Sheol, right? And Sheol is translated sometimes as hell and is sometimes, uh, translated sometimes as the grave in the Old Testament. Everybody, good and bad, went to 
Sheol, the place where the dead abide. Now, in that place of Sheol, there were two parts of Sheol. There was a part called paradise, and there was a part of Sheol that was a place of judgment and pain and destruction, right? But it was still the place of the dead, and it wasn't hell, and it wasn't heaven. Everybody went to one of those two places in the Old Testament. Once Jesus died on the cross and rose again, the Bible says he set the captives free. He told the man on the cross next to him, he says, I'll see you in paradise in just a, in just a couple of hours. So when he died on the cross, Jesus went to Sheol, the Old Testament place of paradise, where he set the captives free and he delivered the gospel message to those from the Old Testament. All these prophets of the Old Testament couldn't go to heaven because the blood of Jesus had not been applied to their sinful lives yet. He set those captives free. Samuel was among those bunches, right? And so Jesus set the captives free. He resurrected from the dead. Now from this point on, those of us who are in Christ, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Hebrews says it is appointed for man to die once, and then judgment. There is no reincarnation. There is no opportunity for you to hang around the earth and haunt your family until they say they're sorry to you, right? There, because when you die in the New Testament, thanks to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are either in this life or in the next. Those apart from Christ still go to a place called Sheol, a place of judgment and darkness, awaiting the final judgment where the Bible says in Revelation, those in Sheol at that time at the final judgment will be cast into the lake of fire, the end of destruction, right? So the Old Testament here is different than the New Testament in the afterlife, okay? Jesus paved the way and set us free from ever having to live in eternity in Sheol, in Christ. But at this moment, Samuel's still chilling in Sheol. So God says, hey, Sam, you're up. Put the cloak on. You're on in five, four, three, two, boom. What did you call me up here for, Saul? All right, he says, well, because I need help. Verse 15, he says, why have you disturbed me by calling me back? Samuel asked Saul, he says, because I'm in deep trouble. Isn't that often when we pray? Isn't that often the only time some of you ever pray? God, I'm in deep trouble, right? I'm in deep trouble. My marriage, my family, my kids, my, my class, my, my grades, my job, my work, my money. God, this relationship, I'm in deep trouble. It says, why are you calling me back? Because I'm in deep trouble. The Philistines are at war with me, and God has left me and won't take my calls, he says, and won't reply by prophets or dreams. So I've called you to tell me what to do. God won't take my calls, so I got your number. You see, what God desires is a humble, broken, contrite heart. But what Saul wanted was not that relationship of confidence and trust in God. He wanted a blessing. He wanted success. He wanted a fix for his problems. Saul, had he just repented with humility, would have taken the story in a completely different direction. But Samuel replied, why ask me? And I love what he says. Since the Lord has left you and has become your enemy. By the way, the Bible says, if God is for you, who can be against you? You can flip that verse. If God is against you, there's nobody that can rescue you, that can be for you, right? So it says, uh, so Saul is doomed, okay? If you're an enemy of God, you're doomed, all right? So it says, the Lord has done just as he said he would. He has torn the kingdom from you and given it to your rival David. Now, the Lord has done this to you today because you refuse to carry out 
his fierce anger, which is a word for justice, you refused to carry out his justice against the Amalekites. He says, nothing is going to change because your heart has not changed. See, this is an issue. He says, this situation is not going to change because there's a heart issue at play here. And it was birthed 15 years ago, and you still haven't changed. He says, and what's more, the Lord will hand you and the army over, uh, of Israel over to the Philistines tomorrow. That means you all are going to lose. And you and your sons will be here with me in Sheol. And the Lord will bring down the entire army of Israel in defeat. So he says, not only are you going to lose, not only will the nation be divided, but your sons are going to die tomorrow. Goodbye. Click. At this point, verse 20, Saul fell full length to the ground, paralyzed with fright because of Samuel's words. He was unmovable. And the Bible says that he actually is there for the next few hours, long enough for this witch to fix him a meal and to to try to nurse him and his friends to say, come on, get your act together. Verse 25, she brought a meal to Saul and his advisors. They ate it and they went out in the night. As the story continues, Israel suffers a massive defeat Not only does Saul lose all of his kids, but Saul is wounded and ends up killing himself on the battlefield. So he takes his life as a result. So this is like a bad day all around, right? More than a bad day. Devastating. So what are the lessons from the witch's tent breakdown? All right, so you have a breakdown in the middle of the night. You're on the road trip. It gets dark. Lessons from that dark road. Lessons on that breakdown. See, you are going to have an option to either respond the way Saul did and learn from his mistakes, or you're going to respond differently, and you're going to learn how to respond to those dark roads. So let's look at some of the things we learned from that witch's tent breakdown. The first thing is this. Saul's desperate, direct, defiant disobedience to God tells us this. Number one, small compromises lead to full-out demonic disobedience. You may never pray to Satan. You may never visit a witch, but a habit of small sins ultimately lead to bigger problems. Remember, we read this in 1 Samuel 15 earlier in verse 23. It says, rebellion, which is an intentional disobedience to God, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. And stubbornness, which is an outright defiance of God's word, is as bad as Worshiping idols, which is an occult practice as well. So Saul did both. Two interesting connections here, that rebellion is as witchcraft and defiance is as idolatry. Rebellion and insubordination to God is demonic. You're like, what? Meaning they are both inspired by the same person, Satan. When you attempt to remove the Lord from his place of authority in your life, you are aligning with Satan. And you think, well, I I don't know about that. No, when you are disobedient, when you have a rebellious heart, uh, uh, an insubordinate attitude towards God and those that God puts in your life as godly authorities in your life, you are actually involving yourself in demonic activity as you're aligning with the attitude and actions of Satan. The truth is, whatever you worship, whatever you depend on for fulfillment and security, when anything becomes more important than the lordship of God in your life, it is idolatry. You've never gone to a witch, but you treat money like a god. You worry about it. You're selfish with it. You revolve your life around it, and it becomes an idol. Or maybe a relationship. 
That's all you can think about. That's all you consume your thought, your mind, your energies, your attention on, or your family, even good things, your career, education, family, even entertainment. If everything of your heart and emotions is wrapped around that item, that thing, that possession, that relationship, more than the lordship of Christ, they become an idol in your life. And the Bible says that is demonic. Now, Seems pretty hard, but this story reminds us that many times our trials are a direct result of our own self, uh, selfish choices as a result of outright obedience to God. Some of us were like, man, I don't know how I got on this dark road. I'll tell you, for some of you, it's because you made some pretty unwise choices, some sinful choices that have taken you down a dark road. I'll tell you, uh, my sister was in the military, and she used to go all over the United States, wherever she was stationed, and sometimes when she was there, we would try to make a trip out there. And one of my favorite places where she was at was in uh, Savannah, Georgia, and um, because it's so eerie out there. <laughs> Everything in, in uh, uh, Georgia, in, in, you know, when you get to the, like the, what are those trees that hang down and like are weeping willows? Those, those are scary. Yeah, they're beautiful, but you know, there was this, there was this time we went out to eat, like at this lobster all-you-can-eat buffet, right? And we took this exit, and next thing you know, we're just like brushing through the, these weeping willow trees. I'm like, it's, somebody's going to kill us, you know? It had that feeling of a scary movie, and then all of a sudden, you see, oh, it's, it's a restaurant, it's in, you know? But there's something about when you, when you take that wrong turn, when you go down that road, and you think, you know what, maybe I took the wrong turn. Maybe I took the wrong road. And, and sometimes your dark experiences in your life are a result of a choice that you made. This is what James tells us in James chapter 1, verse 13. He says, when tempted, let no one say, well, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. That's the word lust. He goes, and after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin. And when sin is uh, birth, when it is full grown, gives birth to death, right? Lust, sin, death. This is what we call spiritual LSD. It's the pill of disobedience. Some of you guys are addicts to spiritual LSD. You give in time and time again to that, to that selfish, evil desire, that, that emotion that first of all, that, that heart issue, that thought, that uh, becomes emotion, becomes an action. It gives birth to sin like a chain link. How many chain links need to break before you lose the whole? It just takes one. And as we look at this story, Saul basically was enticed by his own selfish desires 15 years prior. And it led to a series of incredibly poor choices for the next 15 years that he never turned from. Number two is this. The story tells us, the witch's tent breakdown, is that time may heal all wounds, but not sin. You know, it's true that time may heal the hurt and pain for some of you. You know, a breakup, you know, a pain in your childhood, uh, a marriage that didn't work out, a child that's not talking to you. Sometimes, sometimes time heals those wounds and pain, but the only thing that can heal sin is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why the cross was so necessary. You see, what Saul was dealing with was his past. He was dealing with the sin of his past. 
And in his pride, he would not turn from his sin. He spent 15 years running from God, and he had been driving down the wrong road ever since. And guys, listen, some of you, you're just tucking it away. That, that issue, that problem, that, that habit, that, that secret, that something that you did. And you think, you know what? Time heals all wounds. It doesn't heal sin. The only thing that heals sin is the cross of Jesus Christ. What he really needed to do was a U-turn. You know, you guys ever heard the word repent in the Bible? The word repent literally means a U-turn. It means I thought this way, but now I'm going to repent and go back the other way. I thought this, now I think this. I thought I was right, but now I realize God was right. Repent means to U-turn. It's a change of mind which results in a change of action. And time and time again, the Bible says no one can come to the Father unless they understand what it means to repent. And that's all Saul had to do. He was traveling 15 years down this dark road. If he had just U-turned, if he had just truly repented. Acts 3.19 says, now repent or U-turn of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. Some of you guys, you've been, you've been down that wrong road for a long time, 5, 10, 15, 20, maybe your whole life. Maybe you've been playing church really good, but in your heart, you're down that dark road. It doesn't matter how long you've been on that road, a week, a year, your whole life, if you just you turn, just repent. And I love it, it says, so that your sins can be wiped away and then times of refreshment will come and he will send you Jesus again. He, had he only U-turned or stopped defending his behavior, but instead he continued in his rebellious defiance. How about you? Time cannot heal that sin. Forgetting about it will not change it. Tucking it away will not make it go away. The only remedy for sin is the shedding of blood through Jesus Christ. First John, uh, John tells us this in his letter, uh, we call First John, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, 8, and 9. It says, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. If you say, you know what, I'm perfect, I don't need this whole thing, uh, you turn as dumb, uh, you're lying to yourself. And then it says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful. God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Just U-turn. Will you U-turn this morning? The road some of you on is getting darker and darker and darker, and it's going to lead you straight into a witch's tent. Here's the third thing we understand about this breakdown is that we really aren't asking God if we are chasing after blessing instead of repentance. We come to God to get right with God, for God to shape us, for God to correct us, for God to rearrange our life, to learn how to follow his will. But when we come to God to get blessed and we come to God to get stuff and when we come to God to get success, you're not really seeking God. You're seeking pleasure. You're seeking yourself. And we find this in Matthew 6 where Jesus himself says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Saul was only seeking God to get a blessing for the fight that he was about to face. He wanted success. Saul is a great example 
of people who show up at church on a weekly basis. They fill the churches today all over the world who don't want to be right with God. They only want to be blessed by God. You know what we come to church for? We come to church for the God sprinkles. God, if you could just sprinkle some of your tasty treats on my life, that would be great. We really aren't seeking God. We're chasing after favor instead of his faithfulness. After a season of wandering from God, God tells Israel this. He says this in Deuteronomy 4. He says, but if from there, from that place of wandering, if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Good news, it's not too late till you turn. Maybe even here, maybe here today, you're here because you want God to fix you rather than to know his faithfulness. You want his hands rather than seeking his face. You're wanting his power rather than seeking his kingdom. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn, you turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon or forgive you. Psalm 63, 1 says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. And in a dry and parched land where there is no water, he says, Man, I'm just reaching out to you with everything I got. Here's a question. Are you desperate for God or are you desperate for a fix from God? See, sometimes we treat God like, like some kind of drug dealer, right? We treat God like, like Sunday morning is, give it to me here, pastor, right in the vein. Man, give me that word. I know it sounds absurd, but that's exactly how we treat God. God's not our cosmic drug dealer to give us our weekly fix. He says, you know how you can understand life? Ditch the habits. Don't come to me to fix. Come to me for my face. Spend time with me. Walk with me. Seek me with all of your heart and all of your soul. And the question is, are your prayers more God give me or God make me? That's a good determining factor on how you're coming to God. Here's the fourth thing that we can learn from this story is that the darker our road gets, the brighter God's plan seems. And I love this part because it's the darkest days of their life. A corrupt politician is leading them. There's incredible occult and demonic, uh, demonic activity across the land. Uh, they, are, they are surrounded by an enemy army. Everything seemed hopeless. But then God shows up even in the midst of, of a really bad place, in a place that is evil, at the table of a woman who is, who is an abomination. And God says, hey, it's a dark place, but I got a plan. I got a reason to show up here. I'm, I'm here to remind you, Saul, Number one is if you would humble yourself, all this would, would change. But I'm also reminding you, Saul, that I had a plan 15 years ago, and I still have a plan today. And it doesn't include you unless your heart changes. I've given the throne to a man who's got a humble, broken heart. And that was David. David later becomes king as a result of what happens that next day. He says, God says, I'm going to have fun also. Not only am I going to do I have a plan, but I'm going to scare this witch. We're all laughing up here. God, you can't do that. God says, well, of course I can. 
I'm God. God, you can't use this, this demonic moment to speak. Uh, yes, I can. And this is a great reminder because oftentimes we, we see how dark our life is and how, how horrible the situation is. And man, surely God can't show up here. Surely God can't work in this moment. Man, things are too bad, too deep. God could never touch that person. God can never change the heart of that person. God can never move in this situation. It's too dark. It's too evil. It's too perverted. It's too bad. God says, who do you think I am? I'm God. I can do it all. And he says, Saul, don't underestimate me. But we read this story and we think, wow, man, that's just weird. And you know what God's saying? Don't underestimate, underestimate, uh, underestimate, underestimate. Me. That's what God says. That's Ted trying to say what God says. You know, I got to be honest with you. I see prayer cards and I talk to people and I talk with friends and I'm weary of hearing of cancer and of divorce and of sickness and bankruptcy and addiction. And it's the darkest of days for many of you. Many of you seem like you're in the witch's tent right now, and you're scared. But in the darkest of days, in the darkest of places, God says, I have a plan, and I'm still working. See that terrible defeat of Israel? Set in motion the catalyst that brought King David to the throne. That dark day of Israel was the beginning of a new life for an entire nation. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, be reminded that this is as close, this place, this life, this trial, this The pains on this earth, that this life on earth is as close to hell as you'll ever get. So all that you're experiencing is just for a season, is just a glimpse, is just for a moment. This is as close to hell as you'll ever experience. But if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this is as close to heaven as you'll ever live. I love how Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 3. We're going to wrap this up. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled or hidden, covered or in the dark, it is veiled to those who are perishing. They just can't see it. The false God of this age, who is Satan, has blinded or hid it, blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. Listen to this. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. If your road seems dark, if it seems heavy, if it seems like you are in the middle of the witch's tent and nothing is going to resurrect your life or your moment, Know this, as the road around you gets darker and darker, look to the rock, look to the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think of this. You guys remember the movie Close Encounters? Close Encounters of the Third Kind, right? It's a movie that came out uh, literally uh, within a year of Star Wars. So it's, a, it's one of those breakout moment series, you know, in like a couple of years these big movies came out that changed movies and how they were done forever. And in uh, this year that Close Encounters came out, uh, there was a poster that as a kid I thought was just scary and creepy and cool. It's this poster right here. This is the, this is the ad for Close Encounters, all right? And uh, you guys remember this, this picture? And I thought, man, as I was working through this part of the sermon, I thought, this reminds me of that road on Close Encounters. Because on Close Encounters, you get this image, this night desert, you know, it's like out in the middle of Arizona, New Mexico type area, and you're just driving, and it's dark, it's dark, it's dark, but all of a sudden, just over the mountain, you see this burst of light, 
Now, in the movie, it's weird stuff, so, you know, I'm not saying I believe in aliens or anything, so. But this image is what I get, is I think, man, you're on that dark road. And if you can just look to the light of Jesus Christ and just, and just, just drive in the direction that you know he's called you to drive, it's, it gives you a sense of guidance. That light over the horizon in the dark, it shines bright. It's the light of Jesus Christ. John 1, 4 says this, in him, Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Some translation, the NLT says, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. See, no matter how dark your situation is, Jesus is in charge and will overcome. Taking it home, I want to end with this thought. When the road seems dark, this is our response. I've got all kinds of verses in your notes there. If you're struggling with fear today, if you're on a dark road and you're like, man, I really need to, to hear from God on, on an area and I'm just scared. I feel like I'm in the dark. I'm not hearing God. I put some extra verses in your notes. Uh, those are verses for you to go home, to read, and be encouraged of the light of God in your life if you will submit to him. Fear, timidity, anxiety can stop us dead in our tracks. It can keep us from using the opportunities and abilities that God gives us. It can often uh, um, even lead us down a sinful road uh, out of confusion. So what do we do with this fear? I'll tell you what Saul did. Saul went to a witch. Instead of running to God, he ran from God. Now, you can end up like Saul if you want, but I choose that I'm going to follow Jesus. And so if you're a follower of Christ, this is now our response. So when your road seems dark, on that dark road, when the lights seem to be not working and you have a flat tire and the sun can't be found, 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, which is an attitude or a sense of fear and worry, that the spirit of fear is the breath of fear, like, <sighs> right? We have not been given this, this sense or this attitude, this anxiety of fear and, and timidity, which is worry and cowering, but instead we have been given the spirit or, uh, of this, of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Some translations say sound mind, and they actually go hand in hand. See, some of us here, we are facing something very difficult, and some of us, we live in anxiety. Some of you, maybe you have a, a, a chemical illness, a, a, deficient, a deficiency, and, you know, you have clinical depression or you're bipolar. Uh, sometimes God heals. Sometimes he gives you the ability to walk in faith during the time of anxiety or OCD, whether it's chemical, emotional, or physical, or whether it's a physical worry or an emotional worry or a chemical worry. I want you to know this. You have not been given a spirit of fear but a power and love and a sound mind or self-discipline. See, when the road seems dark, remember this. Number one is that you have power. That means boldness and confidence through the Holy Spirit. Christ living in you gives you the power to overcome that fear and anxiety, which is the response of humbling and serving others. Power of God, that's what his power is there for. And number two, on that dark road, remember that you are loved that you have been given this tremendous amount of, of, of love of God, which allows us to compassionately respond and boldly love others. See, fear is the absence of love. 
But through the power of Christ, you have the ability to love. You don't have to be afraid to love again. You don't have to be afraid to step out in faith and to reach out to that person and build a relationship with a friend again or to seek love in your heart again. Not only that, that in Christ we have self-discipline, which means a clear-minded, clear choices, calm, not frazzled mind so that we make clear and healthy and wise choices for our life. Our response to the fearful roads is love and hope, not animosity and anxiety. I want to end with this verse, and I want to pray with you. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love. Talking about the love of God. But perfect love, Jesus, in us, drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You see, because God loves me, I'm free. I'm free. If you're living in fear, if the road seems dark and confusing, I have a challenge for you. Seek the face of God. Get on your knees. Get on your face with a humble heart and humility, not asking God for anything, but just to be in his presence, just to know him. And that what he'll give you is power and love and a sound mind, a sense of clear direction and clear choices on that dark road of yours. Don't respond like Saul which ended in self-destruction. But get on your face humbly before God on that dark road and watch God show up and move in your life in a powerful way. Let's pray. Father, thank you. That, uh, God, your word is so good to us. And God, you have uh, given us this, uh, this challenging word. God, sometimes the, the light is, is hard to find in the middle of a pain, uh, painful challenge in a, in a situation in our life that's just hurting so much, Father. God, we look down the road and we don't see how anything could be changed or different. God, we're, we're trying to follow you, God, but sometimes the road just seems so dark. God, help us just to trust you, Father, to seek your face, to seek your will, with humility and brokenness, Father. Help us to submit to you and receive your power and your love and your clarity, Father. Thank you, God. I want to pray for those in this room who are dealing with fear and anxiety right now, whether it's a, a, a chemical issue or a physical issue or something that you're going through, a situational issue. I want to pray for you right now. Uh, Father, there are people in this room right now, God, I know, that are overcome by fear. God, even being in this room has been fearful for them. God, hearing this topic has been fearful for them. God, some people, they're facing something this week. God, maybe they're afraid of being without a job or they're afraid of being single their whole life. Or maybe they're afraid that their marriage will never get back to where they would like it to be. Or they're afraid that their children are running from God. God, I pray that, that God, you would overcome their fear with the light of God because your light God your life disperses the fear and the darkness as it runs Lord the closer we get to the light God the, the more we trust you even when it's dark God help us to walk forward God I pray for those that are truly struggling with anxiety and fear right now God I pray that you would give them freedom God give them glimpses of hope God, I pray 
God, that you would do a healing in their life, God. Heal them, Father. Help them to have the strength and the faith to trust you even when they're in pain and when they're hurt. Father, I pray for those in this room that need to U-turn this morning. Heads bowed. Some of you here, it's time to turn around. You've been driving that dark road away from God and it's time to turn towards the light. Doesn't matter how long you've been driving or how long you've been running, you can U-turn this morning. If that's you this morning and you'd like to U-turn to the Father and say, Jesus, here's my life, then I want to lead you in a prayer. It's a very simple prayer, but if you will uh, pray this with a humble heart as a surrender to the Lord, then God will meet you at that U-turn and send you in a new direction. So I, I want to challenge us. Let's, let's pray this together. Dear Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for guiding me and showing me that I need to turn around. Forgive me of my sin. I turn from my life and I turn to your life. how to follow you, how to walk with you. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to walk in your power and your love and your clarity. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.